Welcome to Season 3 of American Political History, Conformity, War, and Liberty, The King Philip's War. Sunday, June 20th, 1675, set King Philip's War in motion. A band of Poconocet, likely without Philip's approval, looted several small villages near Swansea, setting two of the farms on fire. A messenger was sent to Plymouth. They raised a militia of 200 men for the protection of Swansea, commanded by William Bradford Jr., the son of the founder of Plymouth. When the Bay sent diplomats to talk with the Nipmuc, to find a solution or to buy time for their forces to organize, the Nipmuc's villages were abandoned. An ominous sigh. The Bay would start gathering a larger militia in Toronton. Boston would send a militia force of servants, sailors, and pirates commanded by William Mosley. This force would epitomize the savagery of European war culture, the dregs of English society being allowed to unleash a lifetime of rage and grievance upon any helpless natives they could put their hands on. As was once said in Virginia, The natives know not what they have done. They have untied the hands of the English in war. But the communication and tactics of the United Colonies was a jumbled mess of competing interests and opinions. A large force under Commander Thomas Savage swept the coast looking for Sachem Philip in the Poconocet territory. But Philip was gone and his escape made even more possible because Savage started building forts in defensive positions for native counterattacks instead of pushing the initiative. The Plymouth Colony demanded hostages from the Narragansett. Hostages was a European tradition of giving kids of royalty over to the other side as a proof of friendship, usually between a powerful and weaker nation that had to show their loyalty by allowing their princes to become hostages of the other nation. A hostage would be raised like they were the sons and daughters of royalty of the other nation, but if the trust was betrayed, those hostages would be executed or enslaved. Asking for hostages, even in Europe, was a threatening ultimatum, and the Narragansett took offense to this threat. They rejected giving over hostages outright. They had seen what had happened to Sachem Myantinomi when he was captured, as well as Sachem Alexander. Without this threat, the Narragansett might have stayed neutral in this war. After this threat, the Narragansett would become hostile towards the English authoritarianism. When the United Colonies sent diplomats to the Pocasset Nation, the diplomats barely escaped with their lives. Sachem Waitomo had heard how Plymouth had threatened their Narragansett friends and reacted in kind to the diplomats' hostility of visiting them. In July, Taunton was attacked. Middleborough was burned to the ground. Dartmouth was destroyed. The English grew frantic as the war now quickly spread beyond the region around Plymouth and the Wampanoag Nation. The war had now spread all over the New England colonies. The English did track Sachem Philip to the Picasset Swamp. As the English tried to capture him inside of that swamp, all they found was abandoned camps. Unable to capture him quickly, Philip managed to escape the swamp undetected. The English militia devised a strategy of trapping the Wampanoag within the swamp. They still had hopes of capturing Philip. Their trap worked and around 100 women and children surrendered to the Plymouth militia. The Plymouth Court ruled that a few had been active participants in the recent hostilities, and the rest were actively complying with the war efforts, so they were all sold into slavery and shipped to the Caribbean. The Mohican Nation, ally of the United Colonies, engaged in battle with Philip's forces at Nipsuchuk, Smithfield, Rhode Island today, 
Philip lost 23 of his warriors, but they missed capturing Philip, who was half a mile away hiding in the brush, ready to surrender if found. Philip was able to flee north and joined the Nipmuc, near present-day Braintree, Massachusetts, where Philip could rally the nations west of the bay and turn this into a major all-out war. The bay sent a delegation to try to keep the Nipmuc from entering the war. They found mostly abandoned villages until they came across a minor sachem of the Nipmuc, who they forced into an agreement of peace with the United Colonies. For a people that feared God's wrath over breaking a solemn oath under God, they had difficulty seeing that someone of another culture would simply make a meaningless agreement swearing any oath necessary to escape. As the delegation left, they got ambushed by native warriors. Eight of the English delegation died. The remaining English got sieged into Braintree's stockade house. They got relieved by a Bay militia a couple of days later. In the spring of 1676, Springfield, Massachusetts was raided by the Nipmuc. The Bay demanded that the local Agawam nation hand over their guns as a sign of peace and friendship. After this demand to become disarmed, which would have been accepting an inferior status to the Bay, the Agawam nation joined the Nipmuc in the war against the United Colonies. In Maine, which was the edge of English civilization in the New World, a wild west, the Abenaki had had a troublesome relationship already with the English. The New Englanders in Maine demanded that the Abenaki surrender all of their weapons. Hostilities started between the two forces. The Maine colony had much less population and strength than the rest of New England, and the English got driven back into a few larger settlements. In Connecticut, the Narragansett started attacking the English outlying towns and settlements. In Essex County, an English militia, which had not yet learned to respect the native ambush tactics, was led into a deadly ambush. This is now called Bloody Brook. Most of the English militia died. Any small English settlement now faced the harsh reality that they would likely be ambushed any time they left their towns. As militia forces left Springfield in relief of Essex, Springfield got immediately attacked and mostly burnt down before the militia could march back to Springfield. The Bay would order anyone living in the Connecticut River Valley to shelter in place, but the flow of immigration away from the frontier towns was so strong that there was almost no English settlements left on the western frontiers of the United Colonies. Plymouth would lead a thousand-man army into the Narragansett's territory to supposedly enforce the treaty, that one in which the Narragansett were supposed to give up all their weapons. Governor Winslow would lead this army personally, and, of course, Rhode Island declined to send any troops into their Narragansett friends' territory or support that mission in any way. In December 19, 1675, the combined United Colonies attacked a large fortified Narragansett village. This would be called the Great Swamp Fight. It would last all day, and an estimated 600 Narragansett warriors died. This brought the Narragansett fully and completely into the war. The English army was themselves weakened by this battle and had to retreat back into Plymouth's territory to strengthen their fighting force. And it was finally starting to become clear to the English that there would be no single decisive battle to resolve this war. It was far too broad. When the Plymouth militia disbanded to return home for the winter, they found themselves being ambushed constantly with hit-and-run tactics in a seemingly endless march back home. This would become known as the Hungry March. In the spring, the Narragansett, Nipmunk, and Wampanoag would attack all over New England. The English would be sieged into poorly supplied forts, forcing them to eat their horses and other pets. Most of this war, Sachem Philip had no part in. 
the Great Swamp Fight, or the Hungry March. The actions of Plymouth had now created, without Philip's involvement or persuasion, exactly what the English had wanted to prevent, a native alliance centered around the Narragansett's military strength. On February 10th, Lancaster was attacked by 400 warriors. Only a small garrison that moved in too late could respond. Mary Rowlandson and 24 other people were captured. Mary Rowlandson would write a famous diary of her captivity. She would be sold as a slave to the Narragansett sachem Quantico. On February 21st, natives struck at midfield with 300 Nipmunk and Narragansett warriors. A few days later, they burned Weymouth, Massachusetts. The bay would lead another offensive campaign into the Connecticut River Valley. This new militia was sent to battle the Narragansett, but was again unable to engage the elusive natives. Eventually, they returned discouraged. In March, Groton was attacked three times, leading to its abandonment. Natives attacked forts on the rivers just south of Plymouth. New Hampton, Massachusetts, defended itself against native attack, but it still lost half its houses to burning. Even in Rhode Island, the colony that had refused to support Plymouth and their militias attacking the Narragansett, Warwick was attacked and burned. Marlborough was thought to be undefendable and abandoned. Simbury, Connecticut, was attacked and sacked. A militia under the command of Pierce engaged natives but was destroyed, with only a few militiamen surviving in retreat. Then Providence, Rhode Island, was attacked, even though Providence was neutral in the war and always had been friendly with the Narragansett. Major portions of Providence were burned to the ground. In the spring of 1676, settlers abandoned Springfield, Deerfield, Northfield, Brookfield, Lancaster, Groton, Menden, Retham, Swansea, Brehoboth, Dartmouth, Morborough. Plans were in preparation to abandon even eastern coastal towns of Massachusetts and Connecticut. There started to be discontent with the Puritan leadership of the war, the lethargy of their strategy, the failure to press the attack deep and painfully into the Algonquian nations that they are at war with. This failure to press them had allowed them to continually replenish their stocks of food and supplies and continue the offense against the settlers within New England. In May, Sudsbury was sacked and destroyed. But unknown to the English was that this war was beginning to turn in their favor. It was becoming hard for the Narragansett to actually resupply their armies adequately. This long and all-out war had made the growing of large quantities of food difficult especially when the native settlements were constantly on the move to avoid militias. As the United Colonies slowly recognized this, they started waging a logistical feed war against the native nations, the same type of war that Virginia had used so successfully to defeat the Powhatan Confederacy. And the United Colonies had important allies. The Mohicans had done far more damage to the Narragansett Alliance than anything that the English militias had done so far. And the Narragansett Alliance was also engaged with a war on their western front with the Mohawk. This powerful native nation forced them to split their resources into a two-front war. The attrition on simply the number of native able-bodied warriors, the effects of feed wars, had started the disillusionment of the native alliance. But the war continued to drag on. Near Hatfield, 150 militia massacred a native village, only to be suddenly routed by a native war band, which retaliated by massacring everyone they could find in Hatfield. June 1676, a 200-strong militia under the command of Hadley traveled from Boston to the Connecticut River Valley, pillaging and attacking any and all natives they could find in their travels. Once in the valley, they faced opposition from large skirmish parties of natives. His forces were strong enough to fend off these attacks, so they pressed deeper into the Narragansett's territory. 
only to find empty villages. They left in frustration. But unknown to them, the sacking and abandoning of villages had pushed the native nations from all of the choice locations for hunting, fishing, and growing, compounding their supply issues. In a state of near starvation, native unity was now crumbling. As aggressive tactics began to work, Commander Church met with Owashonks, Sachem of the Sakonic, and convinced her to sue the English for peace. The English would likely be much more willing to deal with the first few nations that sued for peace than the nations that later would have to come and beg for peace. In June and July, the English started rebuffing native attacks, disrupting their supply chains into English territory. Smaller nations started making peace offerings to the United Colonies, seeing that the Narragansett were not going to be able to support them in this war. Many of those nations offered to help hunt and capture Sachem Philip, who the English blamed for this entire war. In July, even the Nipmuc inquired about terms of peace with the United Colonies. Even as Bay forces started winning battles against the Narragansett Alliance, the English kept trying to track down Philip, who once again they somehow blamed for all of this. Major Winslow then created a force of 150 English and 100 native warriors. They were supplied to be highly mobile and fought more in the style of the native allies. This group became very successful, attacking and gathering intelligence from their captives, then moving to counterattack native warbands attacking English towns. Many native warriors started surrendering. The leaders of these warbands got executed on sight, and most of the warriors were shipped off as slaves. Warriors becoming slaves after defeat was native custom, but they had no idea that English custom was to ship slaves to another part of the world, so there could be no second uprising. All of these warriors would be shipped off to the Caribbean to die as slaves. One of Philip's men bargained with the English to lead them to Philip's camp. The English believed that this was because Philip had killed this man's brother for suggesting surrender, but this was simply the reason the English gave. We'll never truly know the motive. On August 12, 1676, English forces surrounded Philip's small band and captured him. A few weeks later, they captured Philip's general, Anawan. Several more expeditions were needed before they eliminated any native groups that could challenge the United Colonies' military superiority over New England. Many of the English commanders had promised amnesty for the natives willing to surrender to them, but Plymouth and Bay courts would reverse these orders and execute native leaders and sell their families into slavery. It is estimated that around 10,000 natives during this war were sold to the Caribbean. After defeating native threats in the western and southern frontiers, the Bay would send forces to Maine. The peace chosen upon for a defeated Abenaki would include crippling fines, handing over of all weapons, English control of weapon purchases through English courts, and agreement to offer warriors for English wars. This made the Abenaki nation a simple vassal of the United Colonies. Peace and the end of this war left only hatred and bitterness in the hearts of both sides. At the end of 1676, Plymouth authorities said that all adult native slaves would have to be exported out of the American colony, leaving no chance for another native uprising. The Bay announced that all natives involved in English death would be killed, and any remaining captives sold into slavery and shipped off to the Caribbean. The few friendly native nations got moved to praying communities on reservations. All of the land of the Narragansett was seized by the English. The Sakonic nation, which was the first to sue for peace, got a few acres and disappeared into the sands of history. 
1679, King Charles II sold all of Philip's right to 7,000 acres of land to Plymouth, who then sold it off to investors. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating and share the show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.